0: You're listening to the Crowdfunding Nerds Podcast, a podcast that will help you succeed before, during, and after your crowdfunding event. And now, here is your host, Andrew Lowen.
1: Hey, everybody, and welcome to another awesome episode of Crowdfunding Nerds. I am your host, Andrew Lowen, and I am joined, as always, by Rick and Sean. And today is episode 104. We are making our predictions for 2023.
0: Since this is episode 104, that means we've been doing episodes for two years now.
1: Oh, wow. Yay, us.
0: Two years.
1: And uh, yeah, special shout out to Rick for making me do a podcast.
0: Two years ago. Guy, time flies by. Yeah,
1: it does. We were like in the same office together. It was really cold and it was late in the day and we recorded like a two minute spot that took us like two hours because we did it in one take. <laughs> <laughs> so uh let's talk about some news because I think these segments of news are going to be kind of interesting and maybe possibly related to our predictions. Sean, do you want to get started with your
2: Sure. So I'm in the process of still trying to get my ad account working with my ad rep and he's doing, he's, he's he's doing a good a good job of not giving up <laughs> which I think what? I've kind of got to the stage I've given up What platform? Facebook. Facebook ads. Okay. talking about Facebook ads.
1: Like you're, we're talking about your, so you have backup accounts and whatnot to manage ads and all, but you, your main. Nobody knows about that.
0: (laughs) Yeah. You're not supposed to have backup accounts. You're only supposed to have one account apparently. Oh,
1: redundancy. If you guys don't have a backup account, then you are in big trouble if Facebook ever decides that they don't like you.
0: Or if they find your backup account, then you're in big trouble because then they just wipe you out. Well, that's
1: why you have to make your backup account a real person's account that just doesn't use facebook
0: yeah so
2: you got to find one something <laughs> like that but anyway my ad rep put in a help request but he put it in his name and they're like oh it has to be in your name because your account's being closed so they but they gave me this article of hey this is why you might have been banned and so i read that article and it was a very interesting article because it told me things which I had suspicions of, but you know now that I could actually read it, and we'll include the link in the show notes. But I'll just quote a segment of it that says this: "In addition to reviewing ads, we monitor and investigate the behavior of advertisers on our technologies. In some cases, we may apply restrictions on advertisers that limit their ability to advertise." So that's what that's say, what, what that is saying, is that if you use your personal account to say something that maybe Facebook doesn't like, you could have your ad account restricted. So it's just a warning that you might want to separate your personal life from a business account. And that can be very difficult on Facebook. But it just means, and it also says their technology. So it includes WhatsApp. So if you send like a, a private WhatsApp message to or someone- Instagram. Or Instagram, like a DM. If you think it's private. And Facebook doesn't, <laughs> Facebook doesn't like it. Well, you could have your ad account banned. And I actually know of, I was talking recently to Joe Slack and he had his ad account banned. And he wasn't even running ads. He hadn't been running ads for three months. His ad his account was completely dormant. Suddenly he gets this email saying that his ad account is permanently banned. So does something like this happen? Perhaps. I don't know. But it's interesting. And it just shows you that the the account I'm currently using, my backup account, is a dead account. It never posts anything. It's not connected to a WhatsApp or anything, so there's no threat of this happening for that account. You never know; maybe something I, I posted um, about maybe criticizing Meta uh, could have resulted in my ad account being bad. We know
1: what it was. <laughs> I
2: criticized the rings of power.
1: <laughs> yeah, you said it was bad, and that was just.
2: It was on the same far. day I got
1: banned. So is is that a coincidence?
0: I think they no should way. just change the terms of service to say uh, we don't support free speech, and if we don't like you, that's too bad. You're banned and we don't care. Well, and that's
1: the, that's the reality of social media nowadays. They are controlled by people that are serious ideologues and you have to kind of get with the program if you want to work within that field. And, you know, Twitter you know, with Elon Musk, he's just pulling every skeleton out of every closet that he can find alongside all the t-shirts and whatnot. And he, um, is posting Twitter files. They're called the Twitter files, which I, I think everybody should check those I, out. It's just it's very like X interesting. files,
2: but more interesting.
1: <laughs> yes. Yeah. So there's, just, it's just packed with information, but one of the things they, they swore up and down that they did not shadow ban people. And, um, they did, they just called it something different and they, um, you know, it's like, prevented individual like
2: reach, reach throttling or there's something stupid like that, but yeah, it's shadow banning, <laughs> visibility throttling, yeah, so. visibility throttling.
0: That's it, yeah. yeah th- so mm-hmm. I was just gonna say this happens on all platforms. Like, literally, okay, mm-hmm. when when a new platform starts, it's like the wild west. and Like, we're yep. open to anybody because we need anybody because we're desperate. And then as yep. they get bigger, it just gets getting closer and closer, closed in and closed in. And all of a sudden, now it's like, well, if you want to participate, you have to follow these five thousand rules. And mm-hmm. if you break even one of them, you're gone. So, yeah.
1: So I have a personal, I don't know if I'd call it a mantra, but a, a philosophy that I, that I operate by on social media, which is that I want people to know the things that I value, uh, my family, uh, in essence, things that I bra- would brag about like jujitsu, my family board games and, and that sort of thing. And I generally stay away from talking about politics, religion, Other than, you know, just sharing Bible verses here and there, because I'm a Christian, I read the Bible and every once in a while I have something that, you know, I have a thought on and I'll write a little microblog and that's it. Um, But we actually, we talked about this a little bit when we had Ross Thompson on together, we kind of got into the, you know, is it a good idea or a bad idea to talk politics on social media? And the way that I look at it is if, you know, actually uh, Michael Jordan was asked one time if he was a, Republican or a Democrat, and this was back in the '90s, I think, when he was very popular and he had a shoe line and all of that, you know. And he was like the Under Armour spokesperson, and he didn't want to answer. And the the reporter kind of uh grilled him a little bit, and he's like, "Look, man, concert, or he said. Uh, Republicans buy sneakers too, and you know, let you know he was a Democrat, but at the same time, he saw the reality of everybody's got money to spend and if you want access then just don't you don't have to alienate yourself from half of the country you know and and so i kind of take a similar philosophy of like you know there are people that have different views from me and my like what do i want to be what do i want to um push on my social media i want to push things that i love and things that um i i I value and i don't want to be known as a person that is uh, particularly divisive on social media, but at the same time, there's another reason not to be divisive or opinionated, which is that Facebook <laughs> bigger brother is always watching.
2: Well, so. it's, it's interesting because you kind of see all of these social media sites kind of moving the same direction. Looking into it, it's actually a, a system called effective altruism, also known as EA. And it's kind of this idea or this belief that goodness can be sort of like scientifically defined and therefore you can like measure what is good and what is not <clears throat> it's kind of this weird philosophy that's sort of trending around these circles and this is why you're seeing like for instance kickstarter has uh, has started introducing some of these concepts so like oh well if you have certain projects which uh, in their view is promoting good in the world well they're going to you know boost it and you can get extra funding and so it's part of this effect of altruism kind of mm-hmm. culture that's sort of permeating the the big tech structures i think it has flaws <laughs> yeah uh, that's that's the reason why you're we're seeing uh, this behavior for, as for twitter everyone knew that all social media sites are shadow banning and you know throttling hey that's why you have to buy pay for ads right mm-hmm. because you know there was a time where you had a facebook page and you could just post and reach everyone that followed you now you post you get what you reach 10% if 10% of the people who follow your page so yeah behind a paywall now so looks the it's they call it boosting but really it's you know uncensored
0: (laughs) yeah it's funny because as as businesses you know like you said you have to start paying for advertising if you want to be seen but at the same time people on the other end the end user are trying to get rid of advertisements at the same time like they're trying to block them and whatnot Mm -hmm. so it's crazy how you know on one side you have to put more money to get advertising but on the other side they're like well we're trying to get rid of advertising like facebook I mean, I wish they haven't, I'm surprised they haven't come up with this yet. But like when you watch videos on Facebook, you have to watch their ads. And I hate mm-hmm. that. I hate ads. In fact, I have YouTube premium because I don't like ads. I don't like commercials. I like to watch what I want to watch. And then he's brave man. Huh? <laughs> I know. But it's also nice because I can turn, turn off like my phone and just listen to it. A lot, a lot of times on these YouTube mm-hmm. videos, it's just talking. I mean, it's not really video. It's someone explaining something. So you don't really need to see it. Oh, I was just going to say Facebook, they don't have an option. So literally I'll, I'll watch like, I don't know, a minute of a video and as soon as the commercial comes on, I just go on to the next one because I'm like, I don't want to wait, you know. So, yeah,
2: yep. it deters. It's a bad advertising model because it's purposely designed to interrupt your enjoyment of content so that it annoys you to buy premium products. So it's a stupid way of advertising. It's actually a way of stealing. I believe from stealing from advertisers. So it's like, hey, let's take your money to annoy people so they buy our premium service. It's like, well, so I think Facebook's model of that using the, the news feed and at the right time introducing content that people are actually interested in, it's a far better way of advertising. I think that's why it's so successful as a platform. But the, yep. I've actually started using RSS um, and my own you know, personal news feed because you can completely customize it. There's no ads. There's no algorithm, unless the
0: RSS feed has ads in
2: it. <laughs> I don't know. Even if it does, you know that those ads are directly supporting the the groups that are actually giving you useful information as well. So I don't mind that too much.
0: Yeah, I was gonna say RSS feeds have been around forever since almost the beginning of internet. And uh, I remember like RSS feeds were really, really big. I must say like the early, was it maybe early mid nineties to late nineties? And yeah, so people actually used, they put ads in their RSS feeds so they could make money because people weren't going to their websites anymore. They were just pulling off the feeds. And so it's like, oh, if you're not gonna look at the ads on my site, I gotta put them somewhere. So you put them where they see them.
1: So where do you where do you put RSS feeds? Do you just um, like on your Discord or or something so like
2: that? The Brave browser has it uh, incorporated it into it, its actual system. So when you open a new tab, you have your customized RSS feed there. Now they do include some ads themselves, but you can you can disable that. They do give you a like a it's called a basic attention token for viewing ads. But there's also a browser extensions. So I kind of segment them on different browsers. So I have like a work browser I only use for work. So that's where I have all like my tabletop you know, industry news, an RSS extension for that browser. Then I have like my personal browser and that's where I have kind of like more personal news that I'm mm-hmm. interested in. So that's how I've done it. I've just used either Brave or browser extensions to sort of filter the the different content.
0: Yeah. And there's the old standalone. Uh, there's also standalone programs that have been out forever and they're still, they're still out there. There's free ones and paid ones. Um, you know, like, like the same, same thing as Brave. Like, you know, they may show ads for the free ones, but if you want like your own, like, Private experience with no ads and nothing. It's just whatever you put it in, it's what you get. They yeah, have...
2: I also use Thunderbird for my personal email, so I have RSS feeds that are
1: in Thunderbird as well. Thunderbird. That's pretty uh, pretty interesting, and also RSS feeds have always been confusing to me. So I feel like I need you to explain them like I'm five.
2: Well, it's just it's a WordPress sites are really easy because it's just like the URL forward slash feed. <laughs> That's so easy to find. But usually, what and you, you know what sometimes. It, they have a button on the website, so you just hit that. a so URL, you just then copy and paste in your 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 RSS feed, and it just syndicates it. Or sometimes you have to do a bit of digging, and usually you have to look at the source code. So hit Command U or C- Control U, and then just Control F, type in RSS, and usually you can find it. Uh, so most sites have the ability to have RSS feeds or Atom feeds. Is sort of a I think it's a more modern version of RSS. Mm-hmm. But it's 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 pretty handy. Usually, a, a Google search as well can often find it. So you just have mm-hmm. to do some searching.
0: Our our podcast actually works very similar in that way. Into yeah. um, which it's the, it's an XML feed instead of RSS. But I mean, it's almost identical. Literally, we have a feed on our website or on our our website our hosting website where it just updates every time we add a podcast and adds a new line to it saying, "Here's the latest podcast. Here's the file." Here's the image. Here's the description. And like Apple podcasts and Google podcasts every day, we'll check our, check our feed. And if there's something new, they'll add it to their podcast system.
1: Huh. Yeah. So, um, as I, I felt like you explained, like I was 20, but, uh, <laughs> if I, you know, if, so if I were five, you can press a button on a website well, that and would, then
2: they will open a new tab with the URL, you copy
1: that and you My paste girls it don't it. know what a URL means, Sean. <laughs> it's like, have you ever used Flipboard? <laughs> No, yeah, I mean, you basically are are taking uh, you take what you like from multiple places, and then yep. it shows up in one place for you. Yes, and yes. you're not having That's to cool. visit multiple websites. And the the only question is, where's the? So you take stuff from multiple places and you put it in one spot. Is yep. it like a a notepad that you're copy pasting the URLs? No. And, and all What's that? cool
0: is the technology these days. It's so nice. It's it's just like. It's like email in a way, like you, instead of putting an email address in your, your contact book, you just put the, the, the most sites will give you a link. You paste yeah. the link
2: and you're done forever. It's better than email. Cause with email, there's a chance that the email can get into your junk or into your promotions folder. Whilst RSS, that can't happen. It's like a direct communication with you. So it's, I think it's even more effective than mm-hmm.
1: email. Yeah.
2: That's pretty interesting. There's
0: no algorithm that can filter the content, like censor it. Yeah. Or, it's mm-hmm. date, mostly date. Most of them are date based. So literally it's like, it shows you the content in order that it received it, or the order it was published, I mean, so. And
1: that seems like it would add value to me.
0: Then you could have different feeds.
2: So you can have a feed for topics. So you say, okay, all the mm-hmm. new sites that cover maybe world news are put here. All the new sites that cover board games are putting here. So therefore you, and at a single glance, you're seeing in real time,
0: mm-hmm. all the information
2: on, on those topics. So, you know, you can get it as detailed as you
1: want. Very cool. I like that. I like that a lot. I think, I think maybe even our listeners will find that valuable. All right. Well, I had one other bit of news, and I'm not sure how much time we can dedicate to this. But so one of our staff members lives in China, and they, you know, they work from China. A lot of the time they're working on, I mean, it's like the exact opposite schedule of me. It's like 13 hours <laughs> yeah. ahead of me. So I can almost never talk to them, but they have been going through some very, very significant COVID restrictions and whatnot. And I was talking to them about this, and they, shared with me that China announced on Wednesday a nationwide loosening of COVID-19 restrictions. And I'm really, the reason I feel like this is news is number one, because there there are some pretty gnarly riots and other things going on to protest the COVID lockdowns. And it's either that, you know, it seemed to me that it, it would culminate in great violence or it would culminate in a concession from the Chinese government. And it looks like the Chinese government has made concessions. So, you know, one of, the, one of the things that is happening this year is related to Chinese New Year and factories. Um, so factories are shutting down two weeks early. So two weeks earlier than Chinese New Year, which believe, I believe begins on February 1st. Factories shut down on January 15th, I think. And that is, I don't know exactly why. Maybe it's because they want people to not be around one another so that hopefully in the vain hope that, you know, less people will have COVID before all of the traveling happens. You know, it's basically Christmas for China where the nation takes three weeks off and everybody travels and exchanges gifts and whatnot. I felt like this was news. So there were, they, I mean, there are videos and other things of Chinese uh, authorities welding doors shut of entire apartment buildings or entire um, you know department stores like they're welded shut and people are quarantined for ten days without food
0: and and
1: and,
2: and drones and drones flying by saying resist your urge for freedom. <laughs> it's yeah, like, there's yeah.
0: there's, a, there's a big difference between American uh, lockdown and China lockdown. Like in America, when we had our COVID lockdown, is like okay, um, stay in your home. But if you need to go shopping, go shopping. If you need to do this, go this. Like, literally, it literally, wasn't really a lockdown. And, you know, it just yeah. made the traffic less in, in, in Southern California. But, um, <laughs> and then you couldn't play video games. Like, you couldn't, go, or you couldn't go to video game stores because those were closed. Yeah. Well, actually, sorry, GameStop yeah. stayed open because they said they were essential. Everyone was yeah. essential. Essential, only, only essential businesses were open, but every business said we're essential. So pretty much everything was open. Now, you yeah. go to China, <laughs> and when they say it's a shutdown, it means you can't leave your house or apartment.
1: Period. You will be shot if you Like off stores
0: there. close. It could be. And yeah, you do not go in the streets, like shut down, yeah. period. Like it's a big so, difference.
2: They've got like yeah. a
0: DKP system in their country. So
2: it's like a 50 yeah. minus DKP.
1: A 50 DKP minus for everyone. <laughs> Who leaves and, their house. Yeah, they, uh, they're, they're serious about that. So this is, I think this is actually uh, very good. So it, it it kind of, I guess, plays into predictions that I'm going to make. And so, yeah, I guess you guys want to get into predictions? We us do it. So uh, my first prediction is that board game and toy manufacturing is going to stay in China, regardless of the political climate. There is a significant move to try to get manufacturing out of China. And it is felt in, uh, especially in the board game space, because almost all of the Legitimate contenders for first-time or newer game designers are based in China. There are some that are based in Germany. Some manufacturers based in the U.S. And you know, depending on the types of components that you're looking for, you you might get good deals. Like if you had only cards, or you know, something like that. I know Magic: The Gathering uses Cardamundi, which is uh, has U.S. offices in Dallas, I think, and um, you know, and in Belgium, but There are a lot of, you know, depending on what types of components you have, there are there are decent options. However, most board games use plastic, and that is why I think it will uh, retain or China will retain the by far the most dominant will be the most dominant manufacturing country for board games and toys in general, uh, because other countries are not set up to use plastics. And, and to work with plastics. It's very, very, very expensive in the US. You'll get, in general, you know, if you needed to make a dice or something like that, like for Deliverance, for example, we've got 20,000 dice that we're making for or, or more for our games. And you can't just buy them. You have to actually manufacture those dice. So it's, uh, and, and the only country that does this is I mean it's it's pretty much China and that's it. So places like Mattel or companies like Mattel that you know sell Barbies and whatnot, they're not going to be able to move. Now there are a lot of nations that are going to really benefit from this these manufacturing moves. Vietnam, I think, is going to be the number one nation that will benefit from uh, the menu, the desire to manufacture in a place other than China. Um, because, but I think that they're going to do things like semiconductors and, um, other things like that, that just really don't have impact on the, you know, board game or toys or whatever industry, most things that you would sell on Kickstarter are probably going to still be manufactured in China. And so that's my prediction. And, um, I don't know what you
0: guys think about it. I could talk. Is that your final answer? Are you sticking to that? Yes. (laughs) <laughs> I agree with quite a bit of that um, I have some different opinions on what's going to happen but yes I do agree with with what you say yeah I don't Ooh.
2: think things are changing but it's, it's quite worrying because you know in 2011 there was the Fukushima nuclear disaster I don't know if you remember that and for a time hard drives <laughs> just became ridiculously expensive because that section of Japan was like the world's supplier manufacturer of computer hard drives. So I think it's it's quite dangerous to have a single point of production because you're really creating a single point of failure, (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. And if China just decides, hey, we've monopolized this industry and we're going to increase the prices, well, who's going to contend with that? Or if they have a natural disaster or if there's a war or whatever, it Mm -hmm. can then impact the entire global chain which some would think is done by design, <laughs> but it's, it's not a good position to be in. So, um, but I don't think it's going to be changed as you, as you're right. It's not gonna be changing anytime soon. Yeah. I
1: just, I just think that the uh, number one, the infrastructure to do all of this is very difficult to replicate. And then um, number two, just the number of clients that you would have to, you know, earn to make um, 2000 dice or, 10,000 or a hundred thousand dice. I mean, it's, it's, it's requires very expensive machinery. It requires, um, you know, the ability to formulate plastic and, and, and all of that, that's, that requires a lot of infrastructure and China, you know, even the factory that I work with uh, for deliverance, which is called, which is called long pack games, they outsource the miniature manufacturing. So even they, in, in their factory, they do not make miniatures within their factory they hire out they in essence they subcontract the manufacturing of the miniatures they receive miniatures and they approve them or whatever they may have engineers that that work with these companies you know that are employed within longpack but the actual tooling the actual um, injection of plastic is done at a different factory and these factories you don't you're not going to read about them they're just used by all of the the insider factories and so it's just there's not enough work to to you know unless you're willing to lose a lot of money for a long time and have all these other you know factories with customers and jobs uh finally figure out where you are i just don't think that that's a very easy thing to do so in regard to plastics manufacturing I really think that anything that has plastic in it is going to be made in China. Also the labor cost is very competitive. And so I think that it's, it's uh, going to be a hard one to, to talk about glass. Yeah. We should have glass components.
0: <laughs> yeah, seriously. Very similar to like the semiconductor chip shortage we've been having globally. There's a problem. Cause only like, there's like three manufacturers like in the entire world. And of course, if one has a problem, you're screwed and we've had shortages. And yes, we, you know, like for example, in the U S they are, building their own plants and whatnot for this. But at the same time, it takes like a decade to get it all ready and caught up and whatnot. So yeah, it's it's going to change, but it's not mm-hmm. going to be immediately unless something political happens. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so Richard's prediction number one. Prediction number one, shipping for China has gone down. However, we got a problem with US domestic shipping that I think is going to get worse next year um oh. diesel has not dropped like all the other gases have i mean we're st- we're starting to go to- i was excited because i was in some weird middle of nowhere uh i don't know where i was but i was doing a doordash and i drove by a gas station and i saw gas for 3.99 i was like well drugs under four dollars <laughs> yeah you have to you have to trade in your drugs to get that price instead of, instead of get a free car wash it's turning yeah. your drugs and in, this is in and, california uh, this is in California because most I, I've been I just recently stopped I have I have to buy premium gas unfortunately for my horrible vehicle but um which I've been paying over five dollars a gallon and then now I'm like in the mid fours with with premium like you know four and a half about um and most and then of course the regular gas which most people are buying has dropped from low fives to now low fours and like I said I got excited because I just saw a three ninety nine. So it's getting there. But diesel is still in California and also around the world. It's like five and a half, I think, still. Mm -hmm. Or maybe low fives. It's between between five. I think it's five and a quarter, five and a half. And those aren't dropping. So first of all, we still have expensive diesel prices for the trucks that move our products. The second thing is we're having a lot of train issues going on in California with, 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 with uh, moving trains, getting them going issues with a lot of, there's a lot of issues, union issues. I mean, moving issues, uh, lots of issues, old infrastructure issues. I mean, and trains move a ton. We still rely heavily on trains to move things from one side to the other of the country. And so, although, like you said, um, overseas shipping is down, I think we're going to get hit with, domestic shipping and that's going to be a problem us or us orders are going to be you know in fact us is like usually one of the cheapest ones uh when people charge for shipping for board games i think it's going to go up and it's not going to be the cheapest ones in fact i think uh uk will probably be the cheapest and then it'll go up from there but yeah it's we're gonna have a domestic issue uh with shipping so i think our shipping uh although like it's like you said you know china's going down the costs are going down i think shipping is going to remain this for on, on a consumer end, it's either gonna remain the same or it's gonna go up. And I believe it's definitely gonna go up because of the domestic issues we're having.
1: Yeah, actually that that's a really good point. I am very interested in that. I, I will say that one way I think that creators can counter the shipping is make sure that your game can fit inside one of the post USPS flat rate boxes. The USPS flat rate <laughs> shipping not end. End. is, yeah, right? <laughs> It's subsidized. (laughs) I know. This is is sponsored by
2: UPS
0: flat rate boxes. (laughs) Yeah, yeah,
2: exactly. So my prediction, we've had some pretty big board games launches in the past couple of years. So we've had Skyrim, the adventure game. The Elder Ring has just been released and finished funding. The Last of Us, Zoo Tycoon, Homeworld is a game we're marketing and that's coming up soon. So all of these big video game IPs have got a lot of new new blood into the into the hobby. So I suspect that and maybe not this time next year, but maybe 2 years, 3 years from now there's going to be a lot more people in this space, a lot more people in this hobby because maybe that that big IP video game was their gateway game that got them into tabletop gaming, into the board gaming space. So I think we're going to see a great a larger increase in uh, video gamers transitioning into tape the tabletop space and i think we kind of forget how many people play play video games that we just run ran a campaign goblin studio sandwalkers and they had community stretch goals and one of the community stretch goals and this is a video game was to wishlist the game on steam and they got ninety five thousand 000 wishlists on steam mm-hmm. during the through the duration of that campaign which means those that's basically the equivalent of a notify me on launch uh, kickstarter is exactly the same thing as soon as the game is released everyone will get emailed uh, when the game is on it discounted everyone will get emailed so it's a very similar functionality as the notify me on launch on kickstarter button got yeah. ninety five thousand people you know hit that hit that follow hit that follow button so yeah. it shows you the, just the volume of people on steam so I do think we're going to see a lot more video gamers transitioning to the board game space. And as a result, the board game space is becoming
1: far more robust and healthy in in an economic sense. Yeah, you know, what's very interesting as well with video games, I mean, they don't make that much on Kickstarter. But um, you look at a game like Hollow Knight. um, Hollow Knight made about $65,000 on Kickstarter. And it's made, I want to say, around $10 million on Steam like 8 million to 10 million on steam games that are on steam that have a wish list that aren't out yet when they are become available to sale to sell, you're going to get like three out of every 10 of those people that wish list your game are going to buy the game. So those are the stats on steam. It's actually like 0.28% or something or, uh, or, sorry, 28% of those people. So 0.28 of those, uh, are gonna, are gonna buy. So, if a game is ten dollars and you had let's see, let's look at it um real quick, doing math so um ninety five thousand wishes are <laughs> times uh, let's just say a ten dollar game uh, is nine hundred and fifty thousand dollars, and we're gonna multiply that by zero point two eight. So they should make in the uh, uh, in their first week two hundred and sixty six thousand dollars from those wish lists that was largely
2: gone through the Kickstarter campaign, you know, so yep. I think. There's some merits to using Kickstarter to launch your game um, on Steam. Yeah, but I I do think these these larger video game IPs are going to have a positive impact on the board game industry and get more bums and chairs as we say. Yeah, in fact,
0: Uh, last night I was watching the Steam Game Awards, the annual Steam Game Awards, and their their streaming system crashed a few times. Like it it, the video wouldn't load, and when they did show numbers, because they had a little number count. There was, there was times where it was over 500,000 people on the, on just that stream. So yeah, I mean the steam, the steam, and that's just, you know, a word show that most people don't watch. So <laughs> the, those people are only watching because they wanted the free steam deck, but, um, yeah. So the amount of people on steam, I mean, I all, out of all my friends, I don't know like anyone who doesn't have a computer who, who has a computer that doesn't have steam on it. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah,
1: it's it's very interesting, very interesting. But I, I think that just as we get more experienced in video game um, crowdfunding, that is such a necessary piece of the whole puzzle is a Steam wish list and trying to, you know, just make sure that you win the right to communic- communicate across many me- different mediums. But it's almost like Kickstarter. And it really, to me, it always has been this, but it's a uh, marketing event more so than a funding event, especially for video games. The word travels fast and Steam are where people buy video games. So I think Kickstarter is such a wonderful element to just drive additional buzz and eyeballs. And then, of course, the Steam wish list, right? So that was a a really interesting one. Very interesting. My next uh, prediction,
2: which this is why I think it's it's kind of like a a tug and pull, because I think, yeah, in one hand, we're going to have more more bums and chairs, a greater interest in board game, the board gaming space. However, I, I do foresee that the global economy is going to have a nosedive pretty soon. Pretty We're soon. having a lot of crisis, <laughs> you know, it comes to fuel crisis, housing crisis, and it's a global problem and people mm. are gonna start looking for a global solution. The fiat system, which we currently have is inevitably going to crash. It really happened when Nixon in 1971 took the U.S. dollar off the gold standard because before banks had to issue currency through a a fraction of their gold reserves, but then they removed that so they can now literally create money out of nothing and charge people interest. It's like the biggest scam in the world. Yeah, (laughs) And so now we basically have a banking system that's unhinged from reality. On top of lockdowns and I think even like bureaucracy, like governments, there's a Far more red tape now than there was in the seventies, so mm. even trying to you know get things moving, it's, it's going to be a lot more t- timely and costly. So, on one hand, you're going—I think—we're going to have a greater increase in the board game industry, but on the other hand, I'm thinking like, well, the economy is crashing as well, so it might just kind of be like this equilibrium where we don't really see too much change, or one might you know advance over the other. So, I, I do see the at some point and within this decade. So maybe start a prediction. For next year it could be next year i don't know but i do rec- uh, suspect in this decade the our current fiat system is going to be crashed and we even see this in the uk they're trying to bring in these digital bank currencies mm-hmm. which i think is a horrible idea because
1: basically programmable money <laughs> so,
2: yeah
1: that's right i i do feel like so i agree in part and then uh disagree in part One thing that I uh, read, and I can't remember where I read it, but the the amount of money in banks right now is higher than it was before 2020. I think that that money is actually worth less because of inflation, but it's being spent at a higher rate as well. One of the problems is people don't know what
2: inflation is. And- it it's actually it's quite there's a quite subtle there's a subtle difference because if you type into Google what is inflation it's like inflation is when prices go up and you even go on like Webster's dictionaries like inflation is when prices go up that's not inflation that is the result of inflation mm-hmm. the cause of inflation is the issuing of more currency in the economy so when banks basically yep. print more money that then results in prices yep. going up because your value your, your money becomes less valuable. So which, yeah that's that's an important distinction to make when understanding and the global 80%, inflation prices. Any yeah, percent why... of all US
1: dollars have been printed in the last 2 years or 3 years. Yeah so your yeah, your money's right. less effective as a result of that.
0: Yeah and that's why the 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 interest rates for the banks go up uh here in the US when that happens and they try to like you know like right now interest rates are at mostly all time high and then the reason why is because it discourages people from borrowing money which then brings you know less money flow which brings the value uh, back mm-hmm. down um in fact yeah, the only way to solve that is just to keep bring just rocket the uh the interest rates up um mm-hmm. until you settle to where you want to be at and then you can normalize but yes on the on the on the economy front especially here so at the beginning of 2022 it was almost like a free-for-all for jobs like literally if you wanted a certain job in a certain industry it was available because everyone was quitting and leaving um now the concern I have is the people who have the so board games, you know, it's it's more of a middle middle class ish thing. You know, people who are very you know, who are Do, struggling disposable to, income to meet right? needs. Yeah, you gotta have disposable income. People struggling to meet needs are not gonna buy board games. However, you know, there's quite a few people Well, because know, of
2: inflation, it might be a great way to hold your assets. You can trade them. <laughs> uh, <laughs> at Pokemon and, then, and then
0: when it gets cold and you can't afford to coal or, or wood for fire in your fireplace, you burn your board games. No, <laughs> so, so the problem right now we're, 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 seeing, or I'm seeing, um, and this will, um, this will affect next year is that the, the, the jobs that give you the disposable income are now laying people off. Um, a lot of tech sectors are laying people off now. Um, you guys have heard the big ones, you know, like Facebook and, and Twitter and and all of them. But there's tons more. I mean, just besides the big ones that you see on the news, there are tons of these. uh, Hey, we saw Buzzfeed is
1: laying off like twelve percent of its workforce, and yes, other companies like that. So when I think everybody is preparing for, they're they're trying to conserve their spend. Yeah, and
0: then also those that did have the money may not have the money this next year,
2: and it's really going to impact a little country like Ireland because a lot of those tech companies are based in Dublin. And Dublin already has a massive housing crisis. Just flooding in refugees from Ukraine, so that's sort of exacerbating that that crisis. So I think yeah. a lot of like these professional people are going to leave Ireland because they're not going to be able to find jobs, or find accommodation.
0: Yeah, and, and just like you know, you could tell like even in the U.S. housing uh, market, it was almost earlier in the year. It was pretty much you know within 30 days your house would be sold no matter what. Like literally, mm-hmm. it's like up, oh, yep, done. From okay. from from putting it up for sale to signing it off. Putting up for sale, you now, have an offer
1: on day one that you accept. Yeah, and then you, Perhaps. by the time
0: thirty days has passed, it's gone through escrow and you're set. Mm-hmm. And now it's about a sixty day. It's it's pretty much doubled. Um, so I want to say it's like three down. month now, and ninety day. Yeah, it depends on where San Diego is right? San Diego's a sixty. San Diego, uh-huh. I just saw is like one of the top five now, like most, like I don't know how to word it, most wanted cities that people want to live in now. Most uh, mm-hmm. prestige cities. It got number four. On the list that I saw recently, That's awesome. so no, I don't know no, if you live here. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so so on that point, with with the economy, um, especially in the U.S., I have a feeling we're going to have a lot less disposable income for the games. Mm-hmm. In fact, I'll just go into my prediction, my 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 big prediction. Okay, so we got a few, we got a lot of factors in play. We got chi- China shipping has gone down, but domestically, I think shipping is going to go up. So I think we're either going to pretty much. It's, I think it's overall, it's going to slightly go up at least to who knows what in the U.S. So U.S. things are thin. Um Also, on top of that, we have the economy not doing as well with people also losing jobs and disposable income. So that's going to bring sales uh, backers down. Uh, I don't think there's going to be as many backers this next year as there is this year. I think we've peaked out on backers for board games. I could be wrong, but I think we're going to be either break even next year or there's going to be a slight decrease of backers for board games on Kickstarter. Um, And then finally, um, more people are becoming aware of, you know, like China manufacturing and they want to find ways to get around it. So board games are either going to get more expensive because they're going to find try to find alternatives. Some people try to find alternatives to their manufacturing, Um, you know, or there's going to be more problems in China where it's going to make it difficult. For that manufacturing, which means the cost is going to go up. So I think manufacturing costs are going to go way up this next year. Um, Shipping is going to go way up, or up at least, and then I'm, and then backers are going to go down. And that's yeah. it, so overall, games are going to get a lot more expensive this next year. However, you know, there's always the big IPs, and they'll they'll still blow it. I think because everyone wants to, you know, a big name. You want to have that board game for that big name.
1: I'll say I, I disagree with elements of this, uh, and I'll explain why. So I think that because I see, you know, one of my predictions was that China is the only option. And so everyone's going to have to continue to use China. I think that, um, there will be no, uh, decent alternatives. Right. But I, I totally agree with you for domestic shipping. That's a very interesting prediction and you know, in the U S especially. And, uh, um, the overall backer pool, I think we may have less new entrants into the kickstarter backer pool but the of those that buy games on kickstarter i still think they're going to buy games on kickstarter they may get a little bit tighter with the games they they back you might have more one dollar backers that are waiting to see if the game is really good or waiting to see if it's this one or that one whereas before maybe they would have just backed both you know and and so i i think i can i can see where that is sensible the one thing I'll say is that uh so this is uh, back in I want to say like 2015 or so I was a part of what is called a Sage Talks. Uh it's kind of like TED Talks but much smaller, more intimate and yeah, the knockoff. It's yeah, much like I, TED Talk, right? but it's fake. <laughs> so <laughs> it on on my left was the CEO of Ugg, the founder and CEO of Ugg, and then on my right was the founder and CEO of Stone Brewery. And those are both like multi-billion dollar businesses and it was it was crazy to to be sitting next to these two guys, and there was an economist that gave a presentation. It was to a small room of probably like 200 people or so. Um, the uh, there was an economist, very famous, and I cannot remember his name for the life of me. But he said that um, there, the 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 generation of millennials and behind them, so Generation Z, they have a lot of money. They stand to inherit more money than any generation before them because baby boomers and generation x created so much wealth that they are they were by far the wealthiest generation of americans um ever to have lived and so baby boomers and generation x willing their assets down to uh their kids and whatnot it stands at about like 80 trillion dollars in assets uh that would be willed down and This economist, who's a very, very famous and Nobel Prize winner and all sorts of other stuff going on, he said that, in his words, they're going to spend every damn dime of that money. That's, that's, he's like a a New Jersey accent. That just kind of stuck with me. And what I see is that today, people pay for experiences. That's what they want. And board games, um, you know, board games, video games... Other types of things, those are all experiences that people are paying for Twitch TV and, you know, people are throwing money at at content creators that they're watching play games and things. And I, I think that it's just, you know, they, in addition, you know, look at, you know, bo- like my board game Kickstarter that I ran, I had people that were paying money that wanted to, that felt like they were really a part of something. And I think that's one of the essential elements that if you want to run a successful crowdfunding campaign, you have to help. You have to make people feel like they're doing this with you. Uh, They're not paying you money so you can do it. They're on the journey with you. And I think that there's a lot of value in that. But I, I do think that people will spend every penny of disposable income and they will not maintain significantly sized savings accounts. I think that everybody is pretty much a month or two months from uh, being homeless and, you know, including most business owners out there. I think most businesses, one of the things we learned from the uh, pandemic is that every business has two months or less of operating income because everybody shut their doors in, you know, our uh, SEO marketing business. Uh, Everybody shut their doors for less than a month. And they were all back to all the small businesses were back to operating. You know that just people don't have the ability to stop working, and you know that kind of thing. They are not stopping their spending. They're actually spending more in you know the month of October. Uh, is when I saw it, October 2022. They actually spent more in October 2022 than October 2019, and I think that the trend is this vicious. Cycle that uh, very opposite of virtuous, where people are going to spend more than they have. They're probably going to go a little bit more into debt because they expect that it'll get better. But people are going to continue to pay premium for experiences. And what I thought originally was that people would. In fact, I I have another prediction, kind of, um, on this, that people are still going to pay, but they're those big epic. Epic games, I think are, are not going to be as, are not going to do as well overall. So my prediction number three, I guess. (laughs) Your final prediction? No, I, well, they're kind of, two are kind of uh, related, but this fear of missing out is going to be less of a factor with larger campaigns. Right now, this last year, we had a lot, really the, the last two years, We've had a lot of very large games come out that are expensive, 90 scenario campaigns with, you know, branching stories and huge, huge games. You know, it's like, you know, the video game scene uh, a while ago had, you know, tons of content was like the the, the attraction. They would design a game with like 16 bit graphics so that they could or 8 bit graphics so they could, you know, pump it out quickly and just fill it with massive amounts of content. And it, it kind of moved from that massive content game it, because people have like 500 games unplayed in their Steam library. And I think that the same is starting to become true with board games, where you have these massive games like Elden Ring and Oathsworn and Frosthaven that are coming out right now that really try to differentiate themselves by saying, hey, this is 90 sessions or more. Um, I don't think that. I think that a lot of players are going to have some of those games just sitting on their shelf and they're like, well, I have two of those that are still in the shrink wrap. And I don't know if I'm in for a third one right now. So my prediction is this, I think board games on Kickstarter and Game Found and Backer Kid are going to flex back into tight focused games that deliver amazing experiences that everyone loves, but that are, are not these massive campaign driven campaigns. So, or games. So, um, the only amazing Kickstarter campaigns for really big games that are are going to be those that have either a proven system that people really enjoy. Um, I would put Elden Ring into that, even though it's a huge IP as well. Like, uh, you know, I mean, it's just huge. But they had Dark Souls that was kind of a proven, uh, you know, game system, um, or uh, companies that have a really dedicated fan base um or maybe you know games that have a really dedicated fan base one that that i predict is just going to crush it next year is the stormlight archive um brotherwise games did a miniatures only campaign for stormlight archive which is a very very big book series right now it's like today's lord of the rings or wheel of time you know and uh, brotherwise games is doing a great job with that intellectual property and they're going to come out with a huge campaign driven game in 2023 um And uh, that's my prediction, and uh, they they confirmed that that's the intent actually in a Facebook message or Facebook public Facebook post. But um, games like that are going to do really well, and then other big independently created games are really going to struggle. I think to to compete against those those names, Um, whereas before you know something like like Deliverance. I mean Deliverance, it's kind of like that. Where you've got a, a campaign, it's a, a game that was eighty nine dollars, but the all ins one fifty or one forty nine. I think that I would have had a harder time making that happen this year. So, for me, I'm my goal is to find a way to generate a a version of deliverance that's fifty nine dollars, um, because I think that's going to sell really really well compared to the you know the more expensive hundred dollar game. Interesting.
2: <laughs> I, I probably should just elaborate a bit more my predictions, um kind of come to its conclusion because I, I sort of was saying that the, the current system I I believe in this decade is gonna fail. I think what's gonna replace it is gonna be some type of energy rationing or some energy credits that people have. a so, sort of like a basic universal basic income, but it's gonna be tied to like carbon or energy production. So that's where I think this is, is heading within this decade.
1: That's very interesting. So I made okay, my fourth prediction. I predict that, okay, so smaller campaigns are going to make a resurgence, like we talked about, smaller games and that kind of thing. But I think that Kickstarter's organic traffic is be- is going to begin to fracture more into Backerkit and GameFound. Ooh, interesting. I think, uh, yeah, so I think that um, right now Kickstarter, in my opinion, is the clear biggest player in crowdfunding, and especially when it comes to board games. Which is their largest category, but BackerKit and GameFound have been working to over or to take that market share, and Kickstarter, up until you know very recently, has failed to deliver a better, a, a, you know to continue to improve on the experience that their creators uh, have when when crafting the the you know their stories and campaigns, and that backers have when when searching and so on. And so, but up until this point, I feel like Kickstarter has maintained the dominant organic traffic where people go to kickstarter.com and then start searching for for games or searching for, um, you know, their stuff. I think that the games category is going to start the organic traffic. People are going to start to look at GameFound and to look at Backerkit because they are, all, I think they're always going to have at least one really fantastic project on each of them. You know, uh, backer kit had spirit Island, which is a huge game that everyone loves. Uh, it was an expansion uh, crowdfunding campaign there. And then it had um, frost Haven minis or whatever, um, you know, which is, you know, everyone knows Frosthaven Haven and Gloomhaven. And I think they, they have like some really big partners that they're able to, um, you know, that they're able to, to score. And I think that this is actually going to have long-term ramifications um, where people, like less people are going to search Kickstarter stuff. Even though Kickstarter is very well established with things like, hey, your friend backed this campaign or um, th- those campaigns are recommended to you. I think that Backerkid and GameFound are going to start to absorb more organic traffic, much more organic traffic this year than they
0: have in those past. They're going am, to Amazon it. Um, and, and I 100% agree with you, but um, I thought that was sort of like a given. That's like a little, that's, everyone's going to know that. However, I'll add on to that and say that there's going to be at least one or two new, new big guns that come in next year. Um, in fact, you know, like, especially like think of like board game geek, mm-hmm. like the trust in board game geek is so high. If they started their own, I think it'd just be crazy. There wouldn't, I mean, People would be like, "Oh, it's on. Everything's on Board Game Geek." Um, and they wouldn't have to leave the platform to go get their game. So I think that's true. Of course, I think there's going to be like I said, one or two more bigger players in it as well. And yeah, I do agree about the Amazonification of these things. They'll become more like sort of like shopping search engines, where you you go on, you see your game, and then under and above it, it's going to be recommendations for things that are similar. And it's just going to be one big vicious Amazon cycle right there. Yeah. The one
2: thing i'd like to see with game found is that if it became a little bit more sophisticated in terms of suggesting games for you so what i think they should do is when you create an account just say what games do you like and you kind of check these boxes and i kind of then builds a profile of you so that when a game that sort of meets some of that criteria is released on the platform you get a notification oh we know you like dungeon crawlers with fantasy themes well this latest game is yeah, here we just found a game for you here's game found so i like i hope I, exactly so i hope some of that starts to happen a bit more with game because right now just it just seems like an alternative platform but mm-hmm. i really feel like they need to start moving into a, a space that kickstarter currently is not fulfilling and ready to be sort of like as richard you were saying this sort of merger between like a, a database of games and also a crowdfunding pledge manager platform um yeah. slash community because i think you know Board game geek sort of hits that community space as well. So I really hope we, we see uh, that these types of things flesh out with these other crowdfunding platforms because I think it's just going to be a, a better space, yeah. better for and the those, entire industry.
0: And those platforms can make a killing off that because, well, first of all, if they suggest another no game and someone buys it, they're going to get their cut off that. But they can also create that as an advertising opportunity for their company. Where it's like, let's say you, you, you're you on, you know, one of those platforms and you're, you have your game. Well, they're like, oh, would you like to add suggestive selling for, and then they have some either conversion price or monthly price per click price or whatever. Because literally all they got to do is if someone, you know, if, if, if your game meets their algorithm for someone else searching, then they could, you know, show it, but then they can also charge you for it make make some money off that and then of course the person buys the game they make money off it so yeah i think it's very uh it could be very financially beneficial for those companies to do that um and they could get money from both ends
2: <laughs> yeah because it'd be great if there was you got email notifications like oh this new game that is something that we think you would like and
0: you know so I predict the crowdfunding nerds is going to make their own platform. like a hope. The crowdfunding nerds is going to make their own platform, and it's going to come out, maybe not next year. I think,
1: after. yeah, I
2: think... Um, you need to do a convention I, I, first. Nerdfest. Oh,
1: we should. I, I actually think that uh, GameFound is probably going to make the most headway of all of the platforms because they have social tools on their platform that... I don't, and I don't think it's going to be a far stretch for them to leverage those. I, I have a feeling that game Found is going to do a little bit of what board game geek does and what Facebook does in social groups and things like that. And that's going to make me a huge fan of game Found and what it is that they're doing. But, um, I think that if they can brand themselves and really add in the community aspect, of uh, uh, you know, as like the number one board game destination for crowdfunded board games, I think you have a significant user base that would regularly use them. So, anyway, maybe not a prediction that I'm willing to put my my money where my mouth is necessarily and say it's an official prediction, but that's what I think is going to happen. I think Game Found is Kickstarter's biggest threat
0: right now. Yeah so uh, facebook guess, marketplace will jump in yeah <laughs> <It'll be laughs> just <free>. everyone. <laughs> facebook bids <laughs> or
1: facebook Amazon, something <laughs> well uh i had a good time I, I hope you all found it valuable at least uh, the outlook some Full of it was negative some of it was positive but um all of it is just based upon our experience and so we are very open-minded to being wrong and i hope we're wrong with some of it and i hope i'm right with others so <laughs> um hopefully this makes you more prepared for next year and go make a ton of money and then hire us too right Rick
0: that's right and speaking of that that's all the time we have for this week's episode of crowdfunding nerds join our discussion online on our Facebook group let us know what your predictions are for 2023 we'll have a post up there and you can just put it in there and we'll have a nice discussion to see if uh We agree or disagree on different aspects of the crowdfunding community. And, of course, as always, if you enjoyed this episode and would like to listen to others, please visit visit us, I can't talk today, at crowdfundingnerds.com. Yeah. And happy two-year anniversary. Not a new year. It's a two-year to crowdfunding nerds. Yep, yep, yep. Two years. Whoop, whoop. And... Until next week, stay classy, stay cool, but always stay nerdy.